Well, uh, today we have um, kind of a, a bittersweet thing that we're going to, uh, to be doing at the end of the service, and that is that we're going to be saying goodbye uh, to some folks who have been a part of our church for a number of years now, uh, Brian and Chris Alton and their uh, sons Noah and Jonah. Uh, have been with us for a number of years and uh, have uh, just been uh, a part of us, been a blessing to us in many ways. And uh, they are moving to Portage, Indiana, and Brian has accepted a job with his company uh, in Chicago. And he's already working up there, and uh, so they they will be fully moving at the end of uh, this month. Uh, At the end of the service, we're going to do a a couple of things uh, after our prayer ministry time, and I hope that you all will stay with us and and be here for what we're going to do. First of all, we're going to pray over the Alton family and uh, just uh, pray for God's best on them. And then we're going to do something really neat, something we've never done before. I'll tell you more about this at the end of the service, uh, but we are going to uh, have Brian and Chris renew their marriage vows to each other uh, before uh, we uh, dismiss today. Uh, So I hope you'll stay with us for each of those things. But right now, what I wanted to do uh, is ask Brian to come and share a testimony. Uh, and Chris, you're welcome to come with him if that's, uh, that's what you had planned. And uh, he's just going to share a, a testimony with us that I think is really encouraging and something that I am um, j- just, uh, when he shared this with me, I was just so pleased and my heart was so warmed and uh, I thought that you would feel the same way. Uh, so um, why don't you welcome them as he gets ready to share. Thank you. This is a little bit intimidating. Can I, you hear me? We're going to, if I'm looking down, it's not done being rude. It's I don't want to look up and start crying. So I'm a, I'm a big teddy bear. Um, I'm sure of all you know that my family and I are moving to Indiana. Yet before we leave, I want to take the time to tell you that Chris and all of, tell you what this church and all of you mean to us. You see, Chris and I moved to Aetna in 2004. We struggled in our marriage for years. We fought, we yelled and screamed at each other constantly. We knew we loved God and each other, but we didn't know how to live with each other. We knew we needed to find a church, but didn't take an active step in doing so until 2009, being on the verge of divorce. The week prior to coming to the vineyard, we had plans to go to another church in town. We fought so bad that morning that I left Chris and the kids behind and went to church angry without her. When arriving at that church, I didn't feel welcome or even wanted there. I went home wondering if my marriage was going to survive. After a week of relative calm, my family and I found ourselves walking into the vineyard. From the moment we walked into this church, it felt like home. We were greeted at the door with a warm smile and a welcome team made us feel like we were wanted here. Noah was nine and Jonah was seven at the time and they were a little afraid to go back into the children's ministry. But Tirza and their wonderful teachers there made them feel loved, wanted, and special. We knew when we walked out the door that Sunday that the Lord put us exactly where he wanted us, exactly where he knew we would would be loved and helped. As the years passed, we found ourselves working hard to save our marriage. We tried to be at the church every Sunday, but we felt that wasn't enough. 
We became involved with small groups in the marriage class and the Dave Ramsey financial peace class and decided we wanted to be a part of what made us feel so welcome here on the first first day, the welcome team. We surrounded ourselves with godly people, positive people, shaken. We watched how married couples in our church treated each other and how everyone here loved us for being us. It was truly unconditional. We felt the more we became involved with the church, the closer we became to Christ, the church, and each other. We truly believe if it wasn't for the way the Lord worked through this church, and the people in it, Chris and I would be divorced right now. We believe the Lord used this church to save our marriage. We never believed we would ever feel heartbroken about leaving a church, but that's what we are, heartbroken. That being said, we would like to turn a sad occasion into a truly happy one. We would like everyone to please stay a little longer after service to be, to be witness to our vow renewal. It is only fitting that we renew our vows in the church, in this church and in front of the people who help save our marriage. We can't tell you how much you are all loved by us. Thank you. Great job. Great job. Hey, that's a pretty great testimony, isn't it? Amen. I am uh, so thankful uh, for them sharing that and uh, just for the work that God has done in their lives. And uh, we appreciate you guys being willing to share that. We do hope you'll stay with us. Amen. Well, today I want to uh, preach on a topic that uh, shows up uh, in the list of things that we say we value here at Vineyard uh, Pataskala, and that is the value of excellence. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, we are going to, uh, to look there here in just a minute. Our value statement says of this value of excellence, we desire to do all to the glory of God, which requires our very best. Now, we are made up, every church is made up of human beings, and so we fall short of excellence. But for Vineyard Christian Church, and I think it should be this way for all Christians, Um, excellence in every area of life should be something that we strive for because we are to be about living our lives for the glory of God. I want to look at a single verse of scripture today, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 7. And in this one verse, Paul commends the Corinthians on five areas in which he says that they excel. And then he challenges them to excel in a sixth area. And these are six areas that a church, I believe, should excel in if it wants to be an excellent church, a church that is committed to living for the glory of God. So let's read this verse, 2 Corinthians 8, 7, and then we'll consider these uh, six areas that we're called to excel in. Here's what it says. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, In knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel 
in this grace of giving. Paul is writing here in the 8th and ninth chapters of 2 Corinthians to encourage the churches in uh, this area to make good on a previous commitment that they had made to send an offering to the church in Jerusalem that was facing some very hard uh, times due to a variety of factors, including uh, a food uh, shortage that was happening, a famine uh, that was happening. And so his purpose here is to challenge them to be excellent in this grace of giving. But in making the case, he commends them for the areas that he says they're already excelling in. He wrote that they excelled in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love. And he appeals to them to add to these five important areas of excellence another one. He appeals for them to be excellent in the grace of giving. And so these six things, faith, love, speech, knowledge, earnestness, and giving, are six areas that I believe that God desires for us to excel in. To not settle for being decent, to not settle for doing okay or, you know, being pretty good, but I believe that these are six areas that God wants us to excel, wants us to be excellent for his glory. And so I just want to spend a few minutes encouraging us toward excellence in these areas. First of all, Paul commended the Corinthians for being a church that excelled in faith. Now, we know that the Corinthian church was one with a lot of problems. They were in a city that was known for sinful living, and the church was full of new converts, and sometimes those new converts brought their old way of life into the church. They brought their old way of living into uh, their new life uh, with Christ, and they're actually quite famous for, uh, for this. And so we might wonder how such a church with so many problems is commended by Paul for their faith, but I think it's really quite simple. While they did have a lot of problems, while they certainly were an imperfect church, the evidence for their faith was actually quite dramatic when placed in the context of the rampant sin that was uh, all around them. Uh, sure, they were imperfect, but corporately, it would have been quite striking to realize the strides that they were making in living for God in comparison to the culture that they were set uh, within. Uh, so, some examples of the problems that they're known for. Many of you are familiar with uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, where the Corinthians are famous for having tolerated an immoral brother in the church who was doing things that even the pagans thought were awful. And the church had been putting up with it, had been tolerating it, and, and so they're kind of known for that, you know, that problem in the church. But, but what we sometimes don't give them credit for is that Paul challenged them, and they did end up responding to Paul's challenge. They eventually got it right. They eventually stopped putting up with this brother's immorality, and they eventually expelled him uh, from the church. We know that the Corinthians needed correction because their worship services had become chaotic. And yet Paul comes and he provides correction and they are receptive to the correction. We also see evidence of their faith in the very context of chapters 8 and 9. 
The, the mere fact that they had a, an initial intention to give to other people in another city who were in need was quite striking considering they were living in a city that was notorious for self-centered uh, pleasure-seeking. So no, it wasn't a perfect church, but their faith was making a difference in how they lived. And here is the point of all of this. Faith is evidenced by action. Faith is evidenced by change. Faith is evidenced in allowing God to be big enough in your life to change your actions. It's evidenced in me, allowing God to be big enough in my life to change my actions. And faith is evidenced by things like taking up a collection for needy people in another city. James famously wrote of the need for faith to be evidenced by actions. He, he wrote, I will show you my faith by what I do. There are too many Christians today who say they have faith, but just want everybody to take their word for it. There aren't any actions. There's no evidence to back it up. May Vineyard Christian Church be a church that excels in faith where individually and corporately we don't just claim to have faith, but our faith is evident by how we live. Our faith is evident in all that we do. So a question for you, are you excelling in faith if that means what James says it means? Can it be said of you that you excel in faith if it's true that faith is evidenced by actions? Because here's the truth, James is right and faith is evidenced by actions. Do your actions support your claim to have faith in God? Are you surrendering to him in some area where if it was just left up to your own preferences, you would not surrender to him? Or do you just do whatever you want whenever whatever you want comes in conflict with what God says he wants for you? Do you yield when God calls you to deal with a sin that you've tolerated for too long? Or do you tell God that that's just an area of your life that he can't have access to? Are you involved in any ministries, in any areas of service that would provide evidence of your faith? Here's the sad fact in the Christian church. There are too many people who say they have faith who don't want to do anything. People who have faith are called to serve. They are called to participate in the work of God in the world. And let me give you one indicator that you might be someone who has disconnected faith from action. I I can't make the determination that you are. I I wouldn't be able to do that without, you know, kind of knowing your situation. So I'm not saying this is absolutely the case, but it's a a hint. It's an indicator that maybe you need to think uh, that this could be true of you. If any time someone challenges you to step up, and contribute within the body of Christ, you either verbally say or internally you think, you object to what they're challenging you to do by saying in a very spiritual sounding voice that you are more concerned with being than doing. That's probably a hint right there that you have developed an unbiblical view of faith that has separated faith from action Because friends, the two cannot be separated. I want to be clear about what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you need to be busy all the time. 
I'm not saying that's what this means, but it does mean that the notion that faith does not need to show up in our actions is completely at odds with a version of the faith that is found in the Bible. May Vineyard Christian Church be a church that excels in faith, understanding that faith is evidenced by your actions. I believe we are a church that excels in faith. I I think we are. And and I commend uh, those of you who your faith is absolutely evidenced by your actions. But I would like to gently say here today that in any church, this one included, there are too many people who have separated faith from actions. And so if you are one of those people, I appeal to you for the good of the church, for the good of the world that does not know Christ, for the glory of God, and even for your own good, commit yourself to excelling in faith, the kind of faith that shows up in actions. Paul also commended the Corinthians for excelling in speech. Now, some believe he was commending them for their preaching and teaching. Some believe he was commending them for their use of the gift of tongues that was quite prevalent among them. Some believe that it was uh, both. I believe that uh, both were probably in view. And I think it's also appropriate for us as we consider this to, to apply this broadly to all manners of speech. May Vineyard Pataskala be a church that excels in speech. Of course, we desire to be a church that excels in preaching and teaching from the preaching that goes on here on Sunday mornings to the teaching that happens in our Walking with Jesus classes to the teaching that happens with our middle schoolers and high schoolers to the teaching that uh, happens in our flight school student uh, ministries to to the discussions that happen in our home groups. We want to be a church that excels in speech, that is committed to excellence uh, in speech. And I'll leave you to your own determination regarding the preaching that occurs on Sunday mornings when I'm the one doing it. But overall, I believe that we are a church that excels in preaching and teaching. Friends, we are blessed. We have a pretty strong group of preachers at this church. Stan and his Walking with Jesus team provide excellent teaching in those classes. I don't know of anybody that I would rather trust the teaching of our teens to than our assistant pastor, Ben Yee. I am so confident of the content of what he teaches our kids. It is, it is good. It is excellent, I believe. The Keppies and Karen Canofo have done wonderful work with our middle schoolers on Sunday nights. Andrew Lang has been teaching our middle schoolers for years on Sunday mornings. All of these things have been done, I believe, quite excellently. And Tirza and her team are consistently commended by members and visitors alike for their teaching of our younger kids. And so I do believe that we excel in preaching and teaching. There is always room for improvement, but I think our church is pretty faithful, pretty committed to excellence in this area. I also will take advantage of, of uh, where we're at and what uh, Paul is talking about to, uh, to, to say that I want us to be a church that does excel in the use of the gift of tongues. 
You know, uh, we haven't talked about this in a while, and, and uh, some of you it might make uncomfortable, and some of you are probably upset we haven't talked about it more than we have, but, but let me just take this opportunity to say that while it will never look here like it might in a Pentecostal church, we do want to be a church that excels in the use of the gift of tongues, the Apostle Paul was quite clear in not requiring that people speak in tongues, but he was absolutely clear in saying that he desired that all would speak with tongues. It's in the Bible. Check it out. And so we commend this gift to you. We, we think that we should seek after all the spiritual gifts. We should never say there's something that God thinks is good, a gift that he has given the church, and we don't have any interest in it. That should not be our, our attitude. And by the way, for those of you who are interested in such thing, the, the cessationist position, the position that has said that tongues are not to be active in the church today is losing ground in the church as a whole. I just read an article today that the uh, missions arm of the Southern Baptist Convention just removed their requirement that people not be uh, given to speaking in tongues if they want to be a missionary with the Southern Baptist. Now, folks, come on. <laughs> if the Southern Baptists are conceding that uh, tongues, uh, you know, you know something's going on. So, uh, so I commend this to you. Again, it won't look like it does in a Pentecostal church, but, but we believe the gift of tongues is for today, and, and we think that folks ought to be interested in everything that God uh, has for us. But I want to focus uh, the remainder of my comments about excellence in speech on two other ways that I think we need to excel in speech. Here's the first one. We need to be people who excel at controlling our tongues. You've heard the phrase, and it's hard for me to say, loose lips sink ships. You've heard that. Well, uncontrolled tongues do great damage to churches. Uncontrolled tongues have sunk churches. I'm not targeting anyone today, I'm really not. And I'm happy to report to you that I've been on the receiving end of loose tongues much less frequently in the last few years than was true several years ago. But all I have to know is human nature. To know that some percentage of the congregation in our church is very likely involved in speech that needs to be better controlled. If you are given to gossip... even if it is in the form of a prayer request, you need to stop. Realize how much information you can put out in a prayer request. How much, how much damage you can do asking for prayer if you include gossip in it. If you're given to gossip, you need to stop it. If you are given to negativity about another member of the church, about some issue going on within the church, toward church leadership, unless you are willing to maturely address whoever it is you have a problem with directly, then you need to rein in your tongue. Now, I don't think that we have 
a significant problem with this here at Vineyard Pataskala. I think that's for a couple reasons. Number one, I do think we have a maturing church that has a lot of folks in it that are mature enough that they don't do these things. I also think it might have something to do with the fact that we've been pretty vocal that we do not have the capacity here for dealing with that type of foolishness. Like, not a lot of patience with that. So let me say that again. We do not have the capacity here to deal with that kind of foolishness. Short patience on this particular topic, which short patience is appropriate with this particular topic, in my humble opinion. So I don't think we have a great problem with this. But I know it happens more than I would like to think. I know it happens undetected sometimes until the point that it's happened and happened and happened and then all of a sudden something comes to the surface and there is a problem. And I know this not because I have any inside knowledge of something that's happening right now. I just know it because I know people. And this is what people tend to do. So if this applies to anyone, if you are the source of gossip or negativity within the church, I would like to just tell you that you need to repent. You need to commit yourself to excelling in speech, to being excellent in your speech. You know, there are a lot of Bible verses that we Christians conveniently forget. And here's one of them, James 1.26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. Let that sink in. Now, here are some things I don't think this means. I don't think this means you can never say anything difficult to anybody. I don't think it means that. It doesn't mean that you can't, in a legitimate way, seek counsel from someone regarding a problem you're having with another person. I don't think it means that. And I don't even think that it means we can't vent from time to time. At least I hope it doesn't mean that. And Ben Yi, his very first sermon, our assistant pastor, the very first sermon he preached here, he assured us all that it is okay to vent. And so I have taken that to heart, and anytime I'm venting and I start feeling bad about it, I say, well, Ben told me it was okay to vent, so I'm, I'm okay. I, I don't think it means we can't ever vent, but here's what I think it does mean. We better make sure that our tongues don't become a destructive force. Gossip and negativity are destructive speech And they are not God's will for believers. And so let's excel in speech. Let's control our tongues. Instead of allowing our speech to be destructive, let's speak life to each other. Let's encourage one another. Let's allow our speech to be a source of joy in other people's lives. Let's take pride in turning conversations in positive directions. We need to excel in speech. We need to learn to control our tongues, and we need to speak life to each other. To be an excellent church, a church that gives God its very best, we need to excel in faith. We need to excel in speech. And Paul also commended the Corinthians for excelling in knowledge. A simple question. Are you a student of the Bible? 
Are you a student of the Bible? This does not mean that you have to be a scholar. It doesn't mean that if I were to give you a map of the Middle East today, you would have to be able to draw on the map all of Paul's missionary journeys in their precise order or draw them at all. It doesn't mean you would have to do that. It doesn't mean that you need to know what dynamic monarchianism is. That was a laugh line and you completely missed it. Or dynamic malarkianism. You don't need to know that either. But are you a student of the Bible? What I mean is simply, are you growing in your knowledge of God's word? Are you growing in your knowledge of God's word? Listen, the Christian church is harmed by too many of her members not being committed to growing in their knowledge of God's word, and it sets the church up for being infiltrated by all kinds of wrong beliefs, wrong attitudes, and sinful actions. If you have not committed to being a student of the Bible, I don't want you to get down on yourself today. I don't want you to feel any condemnation, but here's what I do want you to do. I want you to purpose to change this, to be committed to changing it, to make a lifetime commitment to being a student of the Bible. It all does not have to happen by tomorrow, but come up with some consistent plan for growing in your knowledge of God's word. And I know we say this a lot around here. I say it a lot. You probably get tired of hearing it, but it is so true that reading a chapter of the Bible a day is a great commitment toward this goal of growing in your knowledge of God's word. You will be amazed how much you will grow in knowledge if you will just do that one simple thing, read a chapter a day. Here's another one. And of course, this is always preaching to the choir because here you all are. But being at church every Sunday is a great commitment toward that goal. Walking with Jesus classes. If your family has not gone through them, take your family through the walking with Jesus classes. That is a great way to grow in your knowledge of the Bible. Home groups can be helpful. Most of us know what to do. Now let's make the commitment to do it. Let's be committed to excel in knowledge. Growth is what we are after. None of us will ever arrive at fully knowledgeable, but we can grow in knowledge. To be an excellent church, to give our very best for the glory of God, we need to excel in faith. We need to excel in speech. We need to excel in knowledge. And Paul then commended the Corinthians for excelling in complete earnestness. Part of the definition of the word earnest is this, sincerely zealous, sincerely zealous. To be zealous is to be enthusiastic, to be fervent, to be intense, to be passionate, to be devoted, to be devoted. And Paul commends the Corinthians for excelling in this. I think the word uh, enthusiastic deserves a little bit of attention here. You, you know, enthusiastic isn't exactly what we think it is. We often think of enthusiastic as someone who's kind of like bouncing off the walls. 
But that's not really what uh, being enthusiastic is. Let me, uh, someone shared this with me actually at the end of the first service. I thought it was so good. I wanted to uh, uh, share it with you. Uh, Here's what enthusiasm really means. Absorbing or controlling possession of the mind by any interest or pursuit. So a controlling possession of the mind by some uh, pursuit. In this case, the purposes uh, of, of God. And the origin of the word is really interesting. If you, if you go back pretty far, the origin of the word is, it has this in it, possession by a God. Possession by a God. Isn't that interesting? Controlling interest of the mind. Possessed by a God. Amen. As the preachers say, that'll preach. But... Doesn't seem like it. (laughs) Paul commends the Corinthians for excelling in earnestness. If Paul looked at our individual lives, if he looked at our church, would he commend us for excelling in earnestness? Would he say that we are sincerely zealous that we are enthusiastic, that that the purposes of God have taken possession of our minds. Would he say that? Would he say that we are uh, fervent, that we are passionate, that we are devoted? If we're to be an excellent church, we need to excel in earnestness. We need to be people who are passionate about God and his purposes in the world. I think the word zealous has gotten a bad reputation uh, over the years. You know, usually we only use the word zealous if we speak of someone being overly zealous. Have you noticed this? That's typically when we use it. Often we employ this word uh, when, uh, or it's employed by, if I can speak honestly, a lukewarm Christian who is made uncomfortable by the enthusiasm of a passionate Christian. And so they see the passionate Christian whose life has been so changed by God that they just really can't help themselves from going around and telling people about it, which is really how we're all supposed to be. But, but all of us who have you know, lost our passionate love for God over the years. We look at the enthusiastic person, we stand back and we say, well, they're a little bit overly zealous. That'll pass with time when they lose their love for God like we have. The term is often used to people who have a vision for something greater than what exists people who believe in the cause of Christ enough to want to do some significant things for God, people who are passionate enough about God to have a God-sized vision and the audacity to believe that uh, more can be accomplished and that God wants more to be accomplished than what is currently being accomplished, and people who lack vision and passion and energy step back and say, yeah, you know, they're a little bit overly zealous. They always have these grandiose ideas about what they're going to do for God. We're praying for a little more maturity in their life. Friends, zealous is a great adjective for a Christian. It is a great adjective. This is not a bad word. For a church to excel, it's got to have a bunch of people who are enthusiastic, 
who are fervent, who are passionate, who are devoted to the cause of Christ. It's got to have a bunch of people who are enthusiastic, fervent, uh, fervent and passionate about sharing the gospel and teaching the Bible to kids. And I'm thankful we have a lot of people who are. We need more people who are. It's got to have people who are enthusiastic, fervent, passionate about investing in the lives of their brothers and sisters. And one of the ways they can do that is being involved in a home group. And we have a lot of folks here who are doing that. We have a growing number of people who are doing that, but we need more people doing that. We need people who are devoted to sharing their faith with their families, friends, neighbors, and coworkers. People who are enthusiastic enough about Jesus, enthusiastic enough about the gospel that they are able to overcome their concerns about how they're going to be received. Church zealous isn't a bad word. It is a great adjective for a Christian. And if you are not zealous for Christ and his purposes in the world, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Now, being zealous doesn't mean you're frantic. It doesn't mean you're unthoughtful. It doesn't mean you're unbalanced. And so we need to get those definitions out of our head. That's not what Paul is commending. But what he is commending is enthusiasm for God and his work in the world. And friends, here's the truth. Enthusiasm for God and his work in the world is born out of a vibrant personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Please hear this. Your enthusiasm or lack thereof is not anyone else's responsibility. It flows out of your personal relationship with God. Your enthusiasm or lack thereof is not anyone else's responsibility. It flows out of your own relationship with God. If you are lacking enthusiasm for God and his work in the world, you need to pray. You need to seek God. You need to ask God that you would encounter him in such a way that this changes in your life. You need an encounter with God that is so powerful that it changes your ho-hum attitude. You see, God is up to big things in the world. And he gives us the privilege of taking part in the big things that he is doing. This is God-level stuff here. He, he gives us a part in his mission in the world. And if we cannot be excited about that, devoted to that, enthused about that, then it really brings into question what is happening with our relationship with God, what is motivating us. We can't be enthusiastic for God and his work in the world. Something is off in us. To be an excellent church, we need to excel in earnestness, in faith, in speech, in knowledge. And then Paul commends the Corinthians for excelling in love. The God we serve is love. He calls us to love him, to love each other, and to love those who are far from him. And listen, I believe that there is a lot of love that happens within this body of believers called Vineyard Christian Church. I really do. Just in the past several days, we've seen a number of men that have gotten together and they have served the Cahall family in some very practical ways. 
doing yard work and taking on some home projects, uh, some things that needed done, some things that were helpful uh, to Sean with the uh, battle that he is in. And all of these men did this because they love the Cahals and they want to be a blessing to them and they want to help them during this difficult time that they're experiencing. Uh, Patty Werner is just an example of someone who has just done uh, excellent in showing love uh, to this family, and and she does these kind of things a lot. She has spent uh, up to a week at a time uh, with the Cahall family, keeping the kids in their home uh, while Amy and Sean have been in the hospital. Those of you who know Patty, you know she has a whole bunch of kids of her own, and uh, and yet she has uh, spent a week, you know, taking care of other folks' kids. She's done this because she loves uh, this family. Uh, many of you are so faithful to take meals to those who have surgeries or uh, who face illnesses in our congregation. You do so because you love them. And one of the greatest things that I have uh, witnessed in our congregation is so much love that's happening, uh, so much demonstration of love in practical ways that happens that I know nothing about, that Ben knows nothing about, that the church staff knows nothing about. And this is wonderful because if all the loving has to flow through the church staff, it's really not functioning like it ought to function. And so we hear of things all the time that people are doing, loving connections that are being made, acts of love that are being given that we had no role in, had no knowledge of. We don't hear about it till way after the fact. And that's exactly how it should be. That shows that a body is loving each other. And I commend you for that. I absolutely believe that Paul would commend Vineyard Christian Church for its love. But I have to admit that as your pastor, I... I often have my attention drawn to the places where things need strengthened and where things need to be improved. And so while I think we are excelling in love, I think we need to excel even more. One of our goals here is that someday every single member of our congregation would be actively engaged in the lives of others in the congregation through small groups, which are for us the primary means of both receiving care and giving care within our body, which are intended to be the primary vehicle that we engage in practical love for our brothers and sisters within our church family. I believe our church does excel at love, but how about you personally? Are you excelling in love? Are you actively and practically serving uh, others, loving others within the body of Christ? And here's the truth, friend, there, there is a, a relationship between uh, two things that, that you need in your life. There is a connection between giving love and receiving love. If you are not actively involved in loving others, there is a very good chance that you also have a deficit in receiving the loving care that you need. These things just go hand in hand. And so let me appeal to you that nothing in life just happens, even giving and receiving love. It doesn't just happen. Everything takes effort. Everything takes intention. And so commit yourself today to actively and practically begin loving others within the church. Getting involved in a small group is one of the most concrete steps that you can take in that direction. We become a more excellent church with every single member who steps up and commits to living in loving relationships with others within the church. 
So Paul commended the Corinthians for excelling in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in love. To be an excellent church and give our very best for the glory of God, we have to be committed to excelling in each of these areas. And then Paul challenged the Corinthians to excel in another important area, one that they were not excelling in. He challenged them to excel in the grace of giving. So how about you? Are you excelling in the grace of giving? And let's be clear. The context is a collection of money. So are you excelling in the grace of financial giving? So, can we talk about grown-ups for a minute? Matter-of-factly, directly, can I get rid of all the disclaimers to make everybody feel better and just talk like an adult? Yes, I can. Here we go. (laughs) VCC is on solid financial footing, so there is not one thing I'm about to say that is set out of need. I mean, we'll always figure out how to use more, but nothing I'm going to say is based in need. Secondly, I don't know the details of anyone's giving in the church. I have not looked at the giving records. But those who do uh, handle such things have told me multiple times over the years that our giving here at Vineyard Potascala falls in line with what is often true of churches in general and which falls far short of excellent being able to be applied to it. So here are the stats, okay? That, that pretty much every church in America will tell you this is roughly true of our congregation. About 20% of church members give according to the biblical ideal, which is a tithe, 10%. About 60% of church members give something, but not anything that is uh, approaching uh, the, the biblical ideal. Sadly, of those 60%, many of them are not even giving regularly or substantially, which, of course, in this church is the commitment that everybody that becomes a member here makes. And get this statistic, about 20% of church members give nothing financially. Those stats are largely true in this church. While there are individual members who excel in the grace of giving, it cannot be said of hardly any church in America, this one included, that we are excelling in the grace of giving. It cannot be said that we are excellent in this area. It simply is not true that Christians are giving their best to God in this particular area They are not surrendering their money for the glory of God. And I'm not here today to beat you up about this. I'm really not. I'm also not intending to be provocative, confrontational, or antagonistic. I'm just telling you honestly how it is. This is how it is. And I'm also telling you honestly that it should not be this way. Every church in America knows that when they commend their congregation for giving, 
It is only a commendation based on some growth from the previous status quo. It is never a commendation based on actually meeting the potential that is within the church if everyone excelled in the grace of giving and gave according to the biblical ideal. It is never a commendation based on meeting the potential. So again, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm not here to whine and complain. But I just want to matter-of-factly lay out before you that in order to be an excellent church that corporately gives its very best in these important areas for the glory of God, we need to excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, in love, but we also need to excel in giving. If you haven't, don't beat yourself up, don't feel condemned, But do accept the challenge to change the situation, to give yourself, commit yourself to excel in the grace of giving. Because here's the fact, friends. This is absolutely true. This is absolutely true. Jesus Christ is Lord of our money. Jesus Christ is Lord of your money. And he is Lord of your money, no matter how many Christians out there object to that notion and tell you it isn't true, it remains true. He's Lord of your money. Amen. To be the church that God wants us to be, to be excellent, we must excel in faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, love. Appeal to you today that if there is anything in this message or you felt a little bit of a stirring in your heart, that you sensed that God was speaking to you, that he was placing his finger on an issue in your life, if there is anything like that, I would encourage you to step out of your seat, come up here, share that with one of our prayer team members, allow them to uh, go with you before God and uh, and lift that uh, area of your life up to him. I especially felt as I was preparing the message that God wanted to renew the passion in a lot of people here today. So if you're here and you say, you know, if I'm honest, over the last few weeks or the last few months, or maybe it's even been over a period of years, I have to admit my passion for God has really just fallen off. I I guess if I'm being honest, I've just become kind of lukewarm in in my passion for God. If that's you, if that's you, don't deny it. Uh, You know, face that truth and do something about it. One of the things you can do is slip up here today and get prayer. Any other needs that you have, we consider it an honor uh, to pray for you. So listen, uh, we're gonna move along here in a few minutes with some of the other things that we talked about. So I need you to respond quickly if you want prayer today. Don't be hesitant. So as they lead us in this song, if you want prayer, come quickly. God bless you. Take hold.
sing, this world has nothing for me. Cry out to I will find this world has nothing for me. This world has nothing for me. God that this is what you deserve from us you deserve our very best so help us to give you our very best help us not to make excuses for ourselves help us not to uh, you know just just think that whatever is okay but help us God to be committed to excellence in each of these areas I pray God I ask for your hand of blessing to rest upon each person here today If you absolutely need to go, we respect that. But at this time, if you guys would just like to um, take your seats, uh, prayer team, you can return to your seats. I'm going to invite the Alton family to uh, come forward and join me on the stage. For now, you guys can just line up here in the middle of the stage. Boys, you can come on up. We're going to start out by just praying God's hand a blessing upon them, and then we will uh, do the vow renewal. Uh, so, hey, fellas, come on over. Come on over. Don't be shy. If any of you want to join me uh, in praying for them, any of you want to come up here and help me with that, uh, just please come on right now, just very quickly. Joe, I see you're ready. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Let's pray for them. Uh, The rest of you, stretch out your hands toward these folks, and uh, let's just pray for God's blessing on their lives. God, we thank you so much for Brian and for Chris, uh, for Noah and Jonah. We just thank you for their lives. We thank you for the years that they have invested in this church. 
Uh, We thank you for all the ways that they have served, everything from the welcome team to folding bulletins to helping with champion warriors and just uh, all the the different ways that they have served. We just uh, thank you for the blessing that they have been to us. We ask God that you go ahead of them as we believe you already have and uh, prepare the way for them. Uh, we, uh, while we are sad to lose them, we are thankful for the opportunity that's been presented to them in uh, the Chicago area. And uh, we just ask God that this uh, new position with this company would be a blessing to their family. And uh, we trust you uh, for that. We also ask God in the name of Jesus that you guide their search for a new church. We pray, God, that you would lead them to a church where they would be able to say the, the same kind things they've said about us of that church. And uh, so we ask God that you lead them to exactly the right place. It'll be a good fit for them and will be a blessing for them for years to come, a place where they can plug in and serve faithfully, give love and receive love. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Give them a hand. All right. Well, as a church, we have, as a general practice, usually avoided highlighting personal milestones within our worship services. Uh, Largely, we have done this because it's hard to keep uh, track of all the different milestones that happen within a church family. And, And then we end up being inconsistent and people feel left out and then we all just feel bad. And uh, so we've all just opted to generally avoid such things. But I wanted to bend the rules here today just a little bit because I thought it appropriate that Brian and Chris renew their commitment here today in light of the role that God has allowed this church to play in their marriage, as you heard Brian share earlier in the service. Also, I think it's good for us as a church to see and celebrate a marriage that was once near divorce, but now is doing well because of God and because of his work through this church. And hopefully, this will also serve as an encouragement to those of you who may be having difficulty in your own marriage. And maybe this will be a little example to you that it doesn't have to stay that way, that God can heal your marriage. What I know is probably true is that there are marriages here today that are struggling that we as a church don't know you're struggling. And you need to be encouraged that God can heal your marriage. Brian and Chris are nearing 16 years of marriage For this reason, God's power broke in to their marriage. And uh, we are thankful for that. Amen. (laughs) Brian and Chris, your marriage, specifically your testimony, you can keep looking at each other. You don't have to look at me. (laughs) Specifically, your uh, testimony of God's work in your marriage is a great encouragement to me and to all of us here today. We see far too many marriages, even within the church, that don't survive, and it is so encouraging to see one that has been healed by the power of God. Of course, God's healing of a marriage requires the willing participation of each spouse in the marriage, and so I commend you both for allowing God to do the necessary work in your own hearts to allow this healing to occur. We appreciate your testimony of God's power. 
We appreciate your encouragement about the role this church played in your marriage, and we pray for God's continued protection and continued grace in your marriage as you move to Indiana and the life that God has for you there. Brian and Chris originally committed uh, themselves to one another in a marriage in their backyard with the wedding officiated by a judge. And while they committed themselves to each other legally that day, they aren't entirely certain what vows they recited to each other that day. So rather than asking them to recommit to the vows they spoke that day, I'm simply going to ask them to, re, uh, to, to affirm the following vows to each other, which reflect their 16 years of commitment to each other and that they commit today to continue to honor. So Brian and Chris, do you renew the commitment you made to each other when you were first united in marriage? Brian and Chris, before God and all of these witnesses, do you commit yourselves to each other's well-being and fulfillment? Brian and Chris, before God and these witnesses, do you commit yourselves to each other's usefulness in God's kingdom and helping each other to become the people that God created you to be? Brian and Chris, before God and these witnesses, do you promise to love, honor, trust, and serve each other in sickness and in health, in adversity and in prosperity, and be true and loyal to each other so long as you both shall live? And Brian and Chris, do you promise to maintain a Christian environment in your home, helping each other and your sons to live godly lives in Christian service? Because of this renewal of your commitment to each other and because of the vows that you have made with each other and with God in the presence of these witnesses, let us now join in a prayer of dedication. God, I thank you for Brian and Chris. I thank you for the work you have done in their marriage. I thank you for their commitment to you and to each other. And I pray that you empower them by your spirit to live their entire lives consistent with the vows that they have made here today. Bless them and keep them and allow their marriage to be a source of blessing for both of them and for Noah and Jonah. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Brian and Chris, you may kiss while we enthusiastically clap. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a good thing. And I appreciate you all for staying and sharing this moment with them. At this time, we're going to play a song that uh, Brian and uh, Chris asked that we play. And they're going to remain here at the front. They'll step down off the stage, but they'll be at the front for any of you who want to come up and uh, wish them well regarding their uh, vow renewal today or just want to say bye to them uh, or whatever you want to do. So that's what we'll do at this time. Thank you guys for honoring them by being here. God bless you, and we hope you have a great day. Amen. Amen.